Hello, David. How's it going? Uh, it's it's going great. I I want to say something, but I always say it. You so always I'm say just, it. Yeah, I'm just yeah. gonna say it. I'm, I'm doing I'm doing okay. I'm doing All super. Right. Thanks for asking. <laughs> That's good to hear. Uh, so today we wanted to talk about objectivism because uh, I think for both of us it was kind of what started us towards libertarianism. Um, I still right now would consider myself a bit of an objectivist. I, I suppose, but I don't actually know too much about it. I've read uh, three of the nonfiction uh, about it, uh, Philosophy Who Needs It, Objectivism, The Philosophy of Ayn Rand, and I just recently read The Romantic Manifesto. Um, and I mean, the principles just kind of clicked into my head, right? We, we've talked yeah. in a different episode about a lot of the work I had done uh, with like spirituality and psychology, and a lot of objectivism kind of just fit right in with that and also some of the principles i had always tried to live a life of rationality and integrity and i saw the contrast i had with society around me and so it's been it was really quite fascinating to read uh, someone who had thought about it a lot more in depth than i had um mm. but a lot of the objectivists i hear about or i see online they seem too dogmatic to me to be honest no offense to anyone who's listening but um like it's almost the philosophy, it's like the religion of objectivism more so than it seems to be a, a school of thought. Yeah, I, I can understand that. You know, I, I want to be careful about putting that uh, dogmatic label on them. I, I mm. You know, the, the, the dogmatic folks I, I've heard referred to as randroids, right? They're basically <laughs> reciting an algorithm. And I don't think yeah. there's anything necessarily wrong with that if, if you're consistent and, you know... Uh, it, it, it is, there's something, I guess, psychologically off-putting. And I think I, I've heard this complaint toward lobby towards libertarians of all ilks as well. We're, we're too dogmatic or we're too rational or we're too rigid in, in how we approach conversations or something like that. Right. And, and, you know, you, well, I would, you, yeah. I'd want to be clear to cut those separate because rational or, or rigid are very different than dogmatic that, to me, that's right? True, that's true. Because to me, dogmatism is, well, this is the principle, so this is what right. I believe, right, um, which right. is what I do encounter with both, both objectivists and libertarians. I mean, with any walk of life, but these, these two in particular claim to not have that. And then they'll very strictly be like, well, this is what Ayn Rand thinks. And I'm like, well, I don't care what Ayn Rand thinks. I want to know what you think. Mm. And they'll say, well, this is what objectivism says. And, and right. so it seems like I can't even get to that person. Um, no, yeah, that, that's, that's a great point, actually. Uh, you know, there, there's a great book by a uh, philosopher named Peter Bogosian. Uh, uh, Peter Bogosian, incidentally, is the guy who wrote... Um, those those uh, peer reviewed papers by social justice warriors where he pretended to be basically a social justice <laughs> warrior and him and his colleagues submitted all these crazy peer reviewed papers yeah. and got them published, uh, you know, like dogs getting raped in, in at a dog park or sexual discrimination by dogs like it, it was just insane papers that he managed to get published and yeah. he wrote a, he wrote a book called uh, a manual for creating atheists and um, one of the he talks about dogma in the book and and helping people move from dogma to what he calls doxastic openness right so dogma is doxastic closure and you you want to 
you want people to be, you want to be open to change your mind if given the right reason and evidence, mm-hmm. right? And you want other people to do that too. So he has techniques in there for moving people from doxastic closure to doxastic openness or dogma to to being open to changing your mind, right? And you're yeah. right, there, there there is a certain um, sect of, of uh, you know, objectivists. And, and I mean, to be honest, that's that's what drew me to objectivism. That's kind of what drew me to libertarianism. Um, you know, I, I find that a lot of libertarians, if I'm going to be honest, we come from a background where maybe we we felt bullied as kids a little bit, or we felt on the out group. And it's one of our biggest strengths and one of our biggest weaknesses at the same time, because being on the outside of groups, um, not being accepted, maybe or being bullied, you can you can look objectively at social structures and and identify all the bullshit in those yeah. social structures right and you can be like oh yeah i mean these guys are just putting on an act for each other and this is all fake and and you know y- you have uh people that are clearly idiots wielding power over you and you you sense the injustice yeah very profoundly right and and then when you come across something like objectivism it's like holy shit like this is bulletproof you can't (laughs) you know this is my bulletproof armor now like i i i've been justified in the way i've been thinking all this time and and this is proof like you can't refute this stuff and so i think um you know some of the dogma might come from from um you know a a person's psych psychology or their their previous experience um and and i've worked really hard to overcome that because uh, you know, I've been wrong about so many things that yeah. that uh, it's kind of humbled me, right? And uh, yeah, anyways. When I think, yeah, that's what it comes down to is as much as anyone who, uh, you know, was on the outs, viewed themselves as on the outs, most people do want a sense of comfort and acceptance. So that's why, oh, well, this answers most or if not all of my concerns. So I'm just going to buy in full, full fledged, right? right? Um, yep. Which is what I've been concerned about, like, as I've been reading about it and, and, and that kind of stuff, making sure I don't become that and I don't fall fully into it. Um, right. if, if there are things that, you know, don't fit with my, my view of life, I, I still view my own mind as better than Ayn Rand's, you know, for better or worse. And so <laughs> right. it's, it's about um, what, you know, I don't necessarily think my, if it doesn't click right away, it's like, oh, that explains how I've been thinking. I'm not going to say, well, I must have been thinking wrong, right? right. Which is, I think, different than a lot of people who come upon this or like, you know, other things. Um, but so you were saying er- earlier that you're, you're kind of an extreme objectivist or, or something. because Yeah, I mean, I, I think I, <laughs> I think I'm a better objectivist than Ayn Rand. That sounds pretty cocky, <laughs> but... Uh... <laughs> I don't think yeah. Ayn Rand was fully objectivist at the end yeah. of the day, but maybe maybe we should explain to folks what uh, what objectivism in is, and it's it's kind of been a while uh, for me. Maybe maybe you can uh, can can kind of summarize from your perspective what your understanding of objectivism is, and I'll add my two cents. All right. So from my understanding, objectivism is a school of thought that is based primarily on rationality and the human life as an end in itself. Um, so, you know, the only thing of value is a human life and, in fact, your own life and that what is good is rational because rationally you would always try to protect your own life. 
And so anything right. you do against yourself is actually trending you towards death and suicide. Um, and then it's thus irrational and immoral, in fact. Um, and so it basically stems everything out from that. And it has um, three basic premises that uh, I hope I get this. existence exists. Uh, like so ex the primary of existence, not the primary versus the primary of consciousness. Right. So right. the world exists. And then the, that is one of them. The second is that there is a consciousness. Right. Like we do have the ability to interpret and understand the world and that there is identity. So a chair is a chair. It's not whatever I deem it to be. Um, right. And and so those are the three bases of it. And I mean, in objectivism, the philosophy of Ayn Rand, they do an extremely good job of very slowly bringing out the rest of the principles of a full view of life from those three fundamental premises. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and so I guess that's kind of my summary of it. Yeah. And, and I think uh, that that's a fair summary. And, and, and then, you know, the, the logical conclusion of, of those principles or those axioms is that, um, you know, essentially we own ourselves, um, that, that we don't have the right to initiate force against someone else. That's mm -hmm. one of the, the principles of, of objectivism, um, that we have the right to defend ourselves, right? I mean, all biological creatures all ha have, um, in order to survive, need to defend themselves from predation and from, from other uh, things that would initiate force against them, that would attack them, that would infringe their bodily autonomy and mm. so um so so you need to defend be able to defend yourself and use force physical force to do that um and um you know you need things like property right property is that which is in the external world that you appropriate um and no one else can therefore lay claim to right so it's unknown stuff so that so it's kind of the lockean uh homesteading principle or Lockean proviso with property, right? So, so we can derive property rights. We can uh, derive uh, what you might call negative rights, right? Like you, you are obligated to leave other people alone. Like you can't yeah. infringe their right. And, and you can defend yourself from people that try to infringe that negative, right? They, they have an obligation to leave you alone. If they infringe that, you can respond uh, with force to defend yourself. Now, uh, the other thing that I got from objectivism is that uh, is, is about the role of government, right? And objectivists mm -hmm. uh, typically favor maybe something like a night watchman state where uh, government's job, its role is to protect the individual. And they would say that um, government, that the p individuals in government get their right to govern from the people from individuals, right? And so if you think about what right you have as an individual, those are the rights that you delegate to government to look after for you. And so, for example, you know, uh, some people might not be that very good, very good at, at self-defense or, um, you know, maybe dispute resolution and, and adjudication or something like that. And so, yeah. uh, yes, I have the right to defend myself, but because pragmatically I'm not that good at it, I'm going to give it to this institution called government to defend my yeah. rights for me. And so they would say that government gets its right for the people. And I've often heard objectivists uh, rightfully say uh, to people, do you, it, 
if if you if government gets its right from you and you don't have the right to do the things that governments are doing, then how where does government the do where do the people in government get that right from? Right. Yeah. And it makes people think and it's like, well, maybe the social contract. And then, of course, you can pick the social contract apart. Like, where is this contract and when did I sign yeah. it? And it doesn't meet any standard by any contract. Yeah. So, and I, yeah, go, I go think, ahead. Uh, yeah. So like from my understanding, the three fundamental political uh, pieces of objectivist uh, objectivism. So if there was to be an objectivist government, they would solely have a police force, an army, and a judiciary. And so it would be the army exists to protect the individual from outside forces, right? And, you know, there is still, uh, you know, other governments, there are other worlds that could try and infringe on our rights. So they would do that. Um, they'd have a police force to protect within the country of, you know, in case you do try and rob me, that's the basic, like, I don't have the means necessarily to protect myself. And then they have a judiciary. If you infringe on my property rights, we need a, a we a regardless need an objective third party to figure out, you know, who was right and who was wrong in a, in a right. contract dispute or anything like that. And that would be it. Everything else would be left up to the individuals to to do on their own. And they are just there to kind of enforce those principles and protect people from one another and, and in a very explicit way. And I mean, I, I do believe that. Um, and one thing that really clicked into me when I was first, um, you know, in terms of a, like on the ground principle of this um, and, you know, the non-aggression principle, I guess, generally, I have an engineering friend who's an objectivist. And, um, you know, I said, well, like, don't you want seatbelts, right? Like, you know, we're engineers. I, we know it saves people's lives. Don't you want mandatory seatbelts? And it's like, well, how is it rational to threaten someone's well-being in order for them to have to protect their own well-being? Exactly. And I've, yeah. I've always been someone who cared about rationality, but I've never thought about issues like that, right? Right, And right. it's like, that doesn't make sense. Fundamentally, I'm threatening someone's well-being, saying they have to protect themselves, right? Um, yes. And it's just so absurd when yeah. you put it that flatly, which is why I think people are so fearful of putting things that flatly. Yeah, and and that's one thing Ayn Rand was really good at, right? Was was uh, was concretizing the abstract, right? And so it, it, you know, let's call things by their proper name, right? As Confucius would say, that's the beginning of wisdom. And so, yeah. um, if government is a group of individuals that has a monopoly on the on the use of violence in a given territory, um, then you know. <laughs> like let's call a spade a spade and 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 remind us remind people that every law is essentially a death threat right so so you know i i heard one law professor once say that you know early on in 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 his uh when he gets his first cohort of of law students starting their first year he he reminds them never to advocate for a law that they wouldn't be willing to kill someone uh to enforce right and so uh, the, the reminder is to think very carefully about when you would point guns at people and when you would be willing to pull that, that trigger because every law is a gun pointed and a, and the threat of a trigger pulled if someone doesn't comply. And, and so I think that's, that was a great, um, a, a great, I, I don't want to say discovery, but it was a great articulation in, in, by Ayn Rand and, and objectivism, um, to, to point out the gun in the room and to really call things by their proper name. Yeah. 
And so you, I, you know, we particularly wanted to talk about this because in two weeks I'm actually going to the Objectivist Conference in Cleveland, um, and I, I really have no idea what to expect. Actually, right. um, it's just kind of like I'm interested in philosophy, I'm interested in discussions, and and this one seems worthwhile to me. So I figured I'd go, uh, yeah. you know, put myself in that environment. I, I like kind of just to jump in. But what are your thoughts on objectivism generally, and? what and and going to the conference because you're not an objectivist necessarily uh i i don't know i mean i i might consider myself and like i i kind of do consider myself an objectivist okay. you know i i don't i don't fall into conventional objectivist dogma i guess uh or their their cathedral you might call it like i think there are some inconsistencies in in some of Rand's conclusions I think there yeah. there are two primary ways I differ with uh Ayn Rand um and I might be wrong about these things right and so I I'd be curious to for you to go to this meeting you know armed with some questions from me and and see yeah. if you could get some of these issues resolved because I've never been able to get a good answer uh, or maybe something I, to my satisfaction. maybe I could maybe, give you a good one right now may, maybe okay perfect <laughs> so so objectivists um so Ayn Rand was was dead set against anarchy, right? She she yeah. thought it was a terrible idea. Um, but how do you de derive any kind of government from or or that you, you and I would something that you and I would identify as government from objectivism, right? So yeah. so where do these individuals? So a government has rights that you and I don't. It just does, right? Like even an objectivist government. Like I couldn't start. A private military. I couldn't start uh, a, a private court adjudication, or or could I in an objectivist world? Could I could I start competing services with the government? Mm. I don't. And, I, so I I don't have the answer to that right now, but I'll yeah, definitely yeah, think well, on that. Yeah, I'd be interesting to get that. So you know, I get into this. There, there's a guy on my Facebook page that, that constantly uh, harangues me. He's an objectivist, and we have good back and forth. But there there seems to be this disconnect. Um, and I get this with a lot of it where I, we just can't find th that kernel where we disagree. Like maybe it's on the definition of government. So well, he so so an objectivist might say, well, government, a proper government is one that only has the rights you or I have. Right. And so to me, that's no different than, say, a, a protection organization or agency. Right. Yeah. And, and that, that I can contract explicitly with or if I don't like them, I can go to someone else. But what that protection agency can't do is use force, initiate force to stop someone else from starting a very the same kind of agency, right? So, so where does government, you know? Mm. So unless we, unless we say that that this protection agency called the government of Canada has somehow homesteaded all of this geographical area we call Canada, um, we can't say that it has any monopoly right or privilege over over that it's we, we don't consider all, all of canada the private property of the government of canada so right. so how does it have the right to to prevent me from starting my own thing within that geographical area on unowned territory or yeah. land that it hasn't i mean you can't just plant a flag and say everything beyond what i can see is now mine in the name of the queen right or something like that like this is you just can't do that so yeah. I mean, there's I some guy that did that on the moon. That makes actually. a lot of sense. He... That, sorry, uh, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, we talked uh, in a different episode about, um, you know, about the 
the third party arbitrator or, or whatever it is and, and protection agencies and how that would look in a completely libertarian uh, non-government society, right? Um, yeah. And so it is interesting to see how that would either naturally evolve into some sort of government organization or how those would interact. Um, yeah. Right. And, and so and, and so like Ayn Rand, like I've, I've tried to look up everything she said about why why you need a government. Right. And she always dealt, seems to delve back into pragmatism, the thing that she despises the most. Right. Like there, there's no principle. It's just like, well, it would be chaos without government or something like that. So we'll, obviously we need it. It's, it's almost like axiomatic, but from, that's not axiomatic from what I can see. Like objectivist principles, if you follow them logically, lead to anarcho-capitalism, like the privatization of everything, the private ownership of everything. Um, not, yeah. not, so, to me, government comes about, to me, government comes about kind of naturally from like, you know, community bases, right? If there's a sure. thousand people who all say, oh, we'll agree to each pay a fee to this service, right? right. And we all, and we all just agree that we'll pick some people to run that service. That's different than saying we're going to hire in an outside company to do it for us, right? So it's kind of creating a, sh a shareholder agreement and then it just kind of goes out of hand. So right. I do see how it could be built up but I think we'll we'll get into this well, in another episode, I, and I, I, I yeah, I, I just want to put a pin in that for a second yeah. because um, I'll I'll tell you the thing because this this was a nagging thing in my brain when I started you know just going on different forums and stuff and and I saw some anarcho capitalists kind of challenge me on my objectivist ideas and why we need a minarchist government and and I, I yeah I just couldn't square the the principles of objectivism with government like I just couldn't mm. see how you could get from those principles to and then eventually I came across an article and a podcast uh, I think it was one of the very first podcasts Stefan Molyneux did um, I think it's called Caging the Devils where he talked about how how things might work in in if we got if there was no government right and so you would you would have private ownership of the roads you would have dispute resolution organizations that would essentially do the job of of uh, courts um and and you would have to have one of these you could call them governments like maybe an objectivist would call those dispute resolution organizations a government uh it's just that you you wouldn't have one that had a geographical monopoly that that you know you would be able to compete with it basically in other yeah. words and it would underwrite and, and everyone would would need want to or need to be per, uh kind of subscribed to one of these organizations if you wanted to rent an apartment or if you wanted to buy a loaf of bread because no one would trust you unless you had some kind of underwriting some kind of insurance underwriting you and that's kind of what government does yeah. uh, or is supposed to I do but does do a good job of so I think fundamentally, the uh, I mean, I, I need to read into this a bit more, but fundamentally, the, the flaw in the principle of, you know, a government doing this is if, is if anyone coerces you to have to pay for their own services, right? right. So if they can say, yes. oh, well, we're the government who provides this, you have to pay us to provide that, that even if and it's judiciary. The, right. That and um, it, it uses force to... Uh, Disallow to, competitors. Exactly. Right. So yeah. so those are that, that's my so that's one of my um, quibbles with uh, the conventional objectivist dogma. I, I know there are objectivists who are also anarcho-capitalists who just call themselves objectivists. And I know that they 
they would <laughs> that's heresy like they they wouldn't be considered objectivists by mainstream objectivists right but which is, i think that exactly just kind of proves yeah that right um, I said to my objectivist friends something along the lines, there's like a Charles Darwin quote or something that's like, the certainty I have that your religion is folly makes me question my own also. And I think that directly right. applies to a lot of objectivists. Yeah. And, and so I would say this, like, I completely agree with all the axioms and the principles, I think, of objectivism. And, um, you know, I just go one God further, as Richard Dawkins would say, right? Yeah. Like, you know, and, and there's one other uh, big quibble I have with, uh, obje with mainstream objectivism, and that is Ayn Rand's um, support for intellectual uh, monopoly. And, you know, I, I just can't get there. I used to buy into that, but I, I don't think it squares with any objectivist principle. You know, it's so wishy-washy. I think what, she, is, what is intellectual monopoly? Well, it, it's in common parlance in kind of, uh, uh, I guess, propaganda tongue, it would be called uh, intellectual property, right? But it, okay, it's, yeah. it's not, it, it, you know, it's not actual property. If you if you think about it for a few minutes, um, it's it, what it is, is a government granted monopoly on um, an idea on you in, happen on to an, think on, of first. Right, right. Exactly. And yeah, that's actually I've never that's one of the things that I've not had the time to question, but that was an immediate red flag for me is what are their views on copyright, on trademark, right? And, and you know, even when you look at drug companies who develop a drug and then no one can compete with them and that kind of stuff. It, so that's interesting that that's one of yours as well. Yeah, and, and so I think that's an episode in and of itself because we could talk about uh, the problems with IP and, and patent law and all this kind of thing in mm. a separate thing. But, but, but it is, so those are the two areas I, I, I quibble with uh, mainstream objectivism on. And, and I would just like to <laughs> um, kind of reassure people as well that, you know, I don't know if, if anarcho-capitalism is, is the correct endpoint or whether there even is an endpoint to liberty um and you know in my role as leader of the libertarian party of canada i see myself as a unifier of of basically you know walter block says there's there's kind of four camps of libertarianism there's uh classical liberals there's uh constitutionalists there's minarchists who would be essentially objectivists advocating for a, a night watchman state and then there's um, there's anarcho-capitalists. So the, there's kind of these four factions, um, and and we all agree on about 95% uh, mm. of, of issues, right? And and so you know back in the 70s, there's all sorts of infighting in the Libertarian Party. Nothing has changed really, because if there's one thing a libertarian hates more than conservatives and liber liberals, it's another libertarian. But uh, you <laughs> know, but but the 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 there was this. Um, peace pact called the Dallas Accord that the U.S. Libertarian Party decided uh, to to abide by. And that is basically that we will we will work together on the 95 percent of the stuff that we agree on. And once we accomplish that, we can start fighting about the final five percent and break into four political parties at that point. And, yeah. you know, we all agree that would be a much better world than the current one we live in. Yeah. So, so that's well, kind of where. I'll leave it and there. I think I think what I appreciate about you generally and what kind of contrasts you and I with objectivist proper is that exact is that exactly that thought of you don't know if anarcho-capitalism is the answer, right? I don't know if my beliefs are the answer. I'm 
every day striving for the answer. That's right. all I care about. But so many people I interact with, whether it's objectivists or any religion or many people, they have the answer. Ayn Rand was yes. great and, and objectivism is the answer. Um, right. and, and then they just play intellectual games. It's like playing in a sandbox, right? Um, yeah. And, and it just frustrates me, really. Um, it's like I'd much rather, you know, be on or it's like being in a pool versus going out in the ocean. Um, and so that is my goal. And that's why I, you know, I'm, I'm interested to see if they're more open at the conference than I expect them to be. I'm very open to that. Um, but right, my right. brief experience has been very much that they refuse to play outside the objectivist sandbox, um, which is why they've not made like they don't make headway and they don't get interactions with others because they're not willing to. Um, and yeah. in terms of my my personal contrast with objectivism is actually quite different than yours. It's actually I've had such heavy spiritual experiences and really like I've experienced things that rationally would not have made sense to me a, a year or two ago until I experienced mm. them and I can look at my own experiences rationally. Um, and I'm still trying to figure out what that is, but it's a, in complete contrast with some of the fundamental principles of, uh, or the fundamental beliefs of objectivism. So yeah. I know it can't be true because I've experienced things, you know, that it would deem impossible, let's say. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that's that's a good point too. Like, you know, that one of the axioms, I think you, you brought it up before is that, um, that, you know, Matt, that my life is a, a means unto itself or an end unto itself or something yeah, like that. Yeah, an right? end like, unto itself. And, and what if that's not quite true? I mean, Richard Dawkins makes a good case in The Selfish Gene that actually it's our genes that are the end unto themselves, right? And that our goal is not, uh, is, is propagation of our, our genes, right? We are essentially a vessel for our genes and our rationality and all these things that, that, uh, you know, we we worship as objectivists are are just tools that our genes use essentially to propagate themselves. And yeah. so and, and so if that's the case, well, then it makes sense to do what Ayn Rand might call uh, altruistic or self-sacrificial things. Right. I, I would certainly trade my life for my kid's life. I would certainly trade my life for for my tribe survival, for example. I mean, that's why I'm a firefighter. Um, so, so I, I have well, a yeah, hard I, time. I have a hard time, I guess, determining like following some kind of algorithm to figure out what whether what I'm doing is self-sacrificial or rational, right? So, so mm -hmm. I, I think that everything is done. Um, everything everyone does is selfish. Like it's, it can't yeah. be otherwise essentially. And, and, and so, you know, is it rational that I gave up my pension, that I quit my, killed my career, that I uh, subjected myself to all sorts of abuse by the general public and treachery by people I thought were my, my close friends and, and compatriots. Um, well, I don't know. I don't know if that's rational, but, but that provides my yeah. life with it incredible meaning and that, that's why i'm here doing this podcast with you and and that sort of thing so i, I wouldn't wouldn't trade that right and and yeah. i don't i don't know if i could justify that from an objectivist perspective that might look pretty altruistic no i think you could like you know even one of the comments about the podcast was something about um us doing this is altruistic and i'm like i'm i'm an extremely self-centered selfish person right i i care to help the whole world but I care about that because I want to live in the world I want to live in. 
right? I want to make the world the way I think it should be for my benefit and the benefit of everyone else. But it's not, I, I think the altruism is more about putting others before you, um, which there are some people who do that. I've had friends who to their own detriment will sacrifice themselves for other people and you can see the misery in their life um, right. at a core, at a root level. Um, but it is like, yeah, it is, it is kind of interesting, but I think that, nope, lost my point, lost my train of thought. <laughs> no worries, no worries. Um, but yeah, so yeah. for me, it's, it's really that I think, especially with the concept of, of God, uh, they're just completely dismissive. And I don't believe in like man in the clouds, right? But there is a concept of something like man as an end in himself, if you compare the earth to the size of the universe. Yes, man is an end in himself, but it's still completely irrelevant to the entirety of reality, right? And so that concept doesn't have weight in objectivism. And the thing that really frustrated me the most, I she has this concept of focus, right? And either you, the only choice anyone has in life is to be focused or not, basically. And I, I actually agree with that principle. But in the object in uh, objectivism, the philosophy of Ayn Rand, she they don't have a reason as to what some what would cause someone to start focusing, right? If if they're unfocused for a large portion of their life, what actually makes them switch and and change their life to be focused? And in most religions, that's actually the concept of an experience of God, right? Is right. something inexplicable switches in your brain, and you have to change your life. Um, but they just say, oh, that's inexplicable. And it's like, well, this is then contrary to all of ev everything has to have a rational explanation. But you're saying, except this, except one of your fundamental uh, bases. Right. Uh, and and they, they, that's the same thing I get when, when we talk about government. Right. And, and the legitimacy thereof is like, well, without it, it would be anarchy. It'd be chaos. OK. Well, I, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, I could say that about all your other principles, too, that it's anarchy or chaos. And and then, you know, well, should we have a one world government? Because all the nations, as Marie Rothbard pointed out, exist in a state of anarchy towards each other. There's no ruler over all these entities we call uh, nations. Right. And yet, yeah. uh, you know, so, so should there be a one world government? So so I think, yeah, you know, a, a certain brand of, uh, you know, we, we talk about this and maybe this is getting off subject. Um, you know, I don't want to prolong the podcast here. Yeah. Uh, but but you know maybe maybe we should just keep free flowing. I, there's <laughs> there's a there's a couple of thoughts when it comes to uh, uh, crafting libertarian platform, right? Yeah. There there's obviously the you know we we try to put out there what we think might be feasible to do or something that we could actually achieve in in a four year term of government because that's yeah. kind of the game and the theater that we've entered into. But we also try yeah. to advance principles. Now, is the best thing to uh, to promote a, de a platform of decentralized power or is it where, where we give provinces the right to kind of govern themselves how they see mm -hmm. fit or should the federal government impose liberty from on high to, to all the provinces to ensure that that everyone gets uh, all the liberties, all the liberty, you know, as a libertarian would understand them. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and that's. A debate I have. And if I say that the government ought to impose liberty from on high, I kind of feel like I'm saying 
Well, then the logical extension of that is we need a one world government eventually to impose liberty from on high. But I, yeah. I don't think it works that way. And so I favor decentralization, even though you risk some provinces going, uh, going, you know, full, full crackers and, yeah. and implementing socialist policies or something like that. I still think that that um, decentralizing geographically and um, in terms of powers is, is probably the better way to go. And I, I'd be curious to know what an anarchist view on that, or not an anarchist, an objectivist view would be on that. So here's some things I'd like you to do. Here's some homework for your conference. Uh, <laughs> you know, ask some questions, just be, be really curious, because I'd be curious to get these answers back. You know, one is, do, does sh it, should the end goal be a one world government to avoid the anarchy of nation versus nation? Um, and that government imposing uh, an objectivist an yeah. objectivist rule of law. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, you know, employ some of Peter Bogosian's techniques when you talk to these people. Try to move them into doxastic and an attitudinal disposition of doxastic openness yeah. and move them out of that closure. And the way Peter Bogosian uh, does that with people, he does these videos he calls street epistemology where he goes uh, and confronts religious people and and just has like congenial conversations with them and tries to uh, tries to convert them to atheism. And uh, but but what he does is he doesn't argue any of their points. What he does is get them to think about their own belief. And so yeah. he says, OK, on a scale of one to ten, how sure are you of your belief in X? Right. And and OK, it's an eight what would cause your belief to shift? What would cause that number to shift up? And what would cause that number to shift down, right? Mm. What would make you less positive about that belief? Is there any evidence or rational thought that, that could be provided that would shift it down? So if you, if you could talk to an objectivist like that about government, okay, how sure are you that we need government? Um, yeah. Okay, what would cause that to shift down and and that way they're actually thinking about their own belief and this is a this is something that i try to practice myself because i want to maintain doxastic openness right yeah i believe i believe in i, I want to have uh firm beliefs weekly held if that makes makes sense so i want to act yeah, yeah. like my my belief is the truth but i want to be certain open until to, otherwise right until but i want to be very open to uh <laughs> having that that assumption destroyed kind of thing right and so yeah. uh so i think that's that's a good uh so I'd, I'd be curious to see what they have to say i mean you know for myself there there are some things you could do um it's very difficult to think of things that would destroy your sacred beliefs right so so what would cause my belief in anarcho-capitalism to be undermined or something like that right or I would challenge that it's unhealthy to have any sacred beliefs. Sure, oh, sure. What, whatever my assumptions are, right? Yeah. I, yeah. So, so let's let's you know. So, I, I, one thing that might change my mind is uh, like an fMRI scan that shows that when someone uh, wins a popularity contest called the vote, uh, that that there's a new brain structure that develops that maybe gives them some kind of superhuman rights to, to yeah. rule over me right <laughs> that, they become, uh, that, that, that would be some evidence uh they you know, become maybe, a, a worthwhile leader yeah yeah maybe uh some sort of uh satellite imagery that shows that that the lines between nations aren't just arbitrary lines where two rival gangs decided to call a truce and stop fighting and that they actually 
represents some sort of Lockean homesteading principle. That might be another piece of evidence or something, yeah. you know, so I, I've done this, uh, this, uh, kind of exercise on myself to see what, what kind of, and, and maybe there's a blind spot there. Maybe there's some other evidence I haven't thought of that could change my mind. You know, yeah. some of the things I think of are, well, maybe we need a state when there's other states, maybe like if there's rival criminal gangs, you know, just like if you go to jail, um, it makes sense to join up with one of the criminal factions or the gangs in there, even though they're inherently violent because individuals don't survive. Right. So maybe it's necessary for my survival to, to fall in with that, with that, or maybe we need that in order to protect ourselves. I don't know. So, so those are some of the things I think about, but yeah. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. And I think the, again, the most important thing is that, is that like search for the answer rather than commitment that there is an answer, right? And right. I think that's, I mean, that's just generally what's falling apart with the discourse <laughs> overall is I'm not interested in what you have to, th in what you're, you're thinking because I'm just saying what I think. And if you don't think what I think, I'm wrong, you're wrong. And if I don't think what you think, you're wrong. But it's like, no, actually, I want to know what you think so I can see why I think you might be wrong. But that's a lot right. more nuanced, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, and so I, I am interested to see how how the conference goes and and these sorts of things. But the theme of the conference is the Romantic Manifesto, so it's more based around art uh, uh -huh. this this time than uh, some of these other things. But I'll definitely right. keep it in mind. I had yeah. one other I had one other query, but I don't remember it. So I guess we'll uh, we'll just end it here, and and we'll we'll pick back up on uh, uh, when I get back from the conference. Yeah, I'd love to get a debrief on this.